Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning. How are we all? You going well? Good, enjoying chatting with uh, one another. Make sure you keep uh, doing that after our service. Head to our coffee shop, grab a coffee and enjoy uh, some time together. Hey, let's pray together this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence here with us. God, I just thank you for that time of worship this morning. God, it just did my heart good to declare your goodness and your greatness in a world that, uh, where we see so much sin and brokenness, God, we choose today to lift you up in worship and declare that you are our great God. You are the God of heaven and earth. God, you have, have, a, have a perfect future waiting for us. But God, today you invite us to, to walk with you and, and to see your healing power flow through this broken earth. God, today I pray that you'd put uh, faith in our hearts. God, I pray that where we need it, you would convict us of sin and you would put us on your path. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Tim said last week, we started a new series called A Better Story. And we're all living according to some sort of story. We've all got an overarching narrative that that explains to us the meaning of life, explains to us where we came from, what we were designed for, and and what life is all about. You know, we've all got a a story or an overarching narrative, you know, in in our minds that we, we choose to accept and we choose to follow. Now, the story in our modern culture in Australia, in the Western world particularly today, that, that is infiltrating, you know, through, uh, throughout our culture and particularly into our younger generations, the, the story of our modern culture is that the universe is self-existing, it's self-sustaining, and it's a self-developing entity, and we're God. It, that's, that's the story of our, our culture today. Man and woman, we're our own God. We control the universe. There is no sovereign power beyond ourselves to obey. But nor is there any sovereign power beyond ourselves to guide and to help and to love us. That's one story. It's a story that's rampant in our world today. The biblical story is different to that story. And the biblical story, as we started last week, is that God is actually the centre of all things. And we actually exist to glorify Him in everything that we do. And we are loved and sustained by this big Creator God. In Genesis chapter 1, where we started last week, we see God create the universe in perfect order and He created all people on purpose and for a purpose. And as Andrew, you know, did so well last week, reminding us it's a better story. We're not autonomous, nor are we an accident, and nor are we here alone in this world. But we're actually created for a perfect relationship with a powerful and loving creator. We're created for perfect relationship with one another, and we are created to work together to look after this world that God has created for us. It's a better story. And it's a story that we need to share because it gives every single person on planet earth, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, gives every single person on planet earth intrinsic value, lasting purpose, and a picture of what loving relationships really look like. Now now most of us know the next part of the biblical story. You know, most of us know what happens after Genesis 1 and 2. You know, we we know what happens in in Genesis chapter 3. We actually know that sin entered the world and messed up the perfect relationships that God created. 
messed up perfect relationship between man and woman and God. It messed up the perfect relationship between man and woman, between one another, and it messed up the perfect relationship between us and the world around us. And the world has been groaning ever since. Now, most of us here in this room, we actually understand the the story and we understand the concept of sin. The problem is we live in a culture today that has rejected the concept of sin. We don't talk about sin anymore. Our culture doesn't use the word sin. And so this next part of the story is actually soundly rejected by the culture that we live in. If we go back in time a little bit, if we go back to, uh, to, to 1741 and we see you know, the new colonies in what would become the United States of America forming, there's a man named Jonathan Edwards who is being used by God to preach the gospel of Jesus to people who had a Christian heritage. They actually understood that the Bible was the, the word of God. They may not have had an active Christian faith, but they had a Christian heritage. And he preaches a sermon that's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Just have a listen to some of the words that he preaches. He says, O sinner, and he's talking to the people that are listening, it is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you were allowed to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. That's old school fire and brimstone preaching. And it's said that in the midst of his messages, people would regularly interrupt and say, what must I do to be saved? And it's become known as as part of the first great awakening in that part of the world, where many, many people came to faith. And this new nation that is forming was actually formed on the Word of God. It was shaped by this move of God in 7041. Can you imagine today what the media would do with a message like that in our nation? Fast forward. 1959, come to our nation, where the majority of people, again, identified as having a Christian heritage and actually believed that the Bible was the Word of God. And one of my great heroes, Billy Graham, came to Australia in 1959, and I still love the fact that when you walk through, you know, the hallowed halls of the MCG, there is a photo on the wall of uh, Billy Graham, you know, preaching at the MCG because of all of the football games and all of the cricket games that have happened at the MCG, still the biggest crowd that has ever gone into that stadium to this day was to listen to Billy Graham preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 143,000 people packed into that stadium. And Billy, I watched bits of it again this week, Billy picked up his Bible and he thumped it and something like, you know, 15 times in the space of 20, 20 minutes, he says, the Bible says, the Bible says, And he kept pointing people back to the truth of the Bible. And then if you've ever heard him preach, he'd always get to Romans 3.23. And he says, and that means you, every single one of you has fallen short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he would call people to repentance through faith in Jesus Christ to break the power of sin and death over them. And he'd say, come to the front and repent. The buses will wait for you. Come to the front. And George Beverly O'Shea would sing in his big tenor voice and people would flock to the front. Put your hand up here today. If at some time in the last century you put your faith in Jesus Christ at a Billy Graham crusade, put your hand high in the air. Have a look around. Say, Duncan, put your hands up. This is something to be celebrated. Just put our hands together and thank God that that man came to this country. (laughs) Do you know, you can do that in any church in Australia and at least one person puts their hand up still to this day. If my wife was here, she's down at the Redlands campus again today, but 1979, 
She was eight years old. I would have only been seven, but she was eight. I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but she's a little bit older than me. She's turning 50 this year. It's like being married to a senior citizen. I, I, don't, know. I don't know if I've ever said that before. She was eight years old. And she would say the first time she just understood the gospel and, and the need for her to respond and put her faith in Jesus. 1979, Billy Graham crusade. And many of you here have just stuck your hand up. You've got your own story. It shaped the church in our nation. It shaped our nation. The problem is we live in a culture that has actually rejected the authority of Scripture and has rejected the concept of sin. And so an author or journalist like Brian Appleyard said, sin doesn't really exist as a serious idea in modern life anymore. Alan Mann, who's a theologian, wrote, has written a book called you know, Atonement for a Sinless Society. It says this, Individuals no longer live with a sense of sin or guilt in the way that many classical models of atonement require in order for them to be successfully communicated. In other words, he's saying the concept of sin has been rejected, which makes it very, very difficult to successfully communicate the biblical story of atonement for our sin through Jesus Christ. In fact, some churches are going to... We're going to sing a song as we finish today. It's called Old, old Hymn, called In Christ Alone. And there's, there's a line in the song that, that actually says, on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. There's a whole group of churches in our Western world that have wanted to change the line to that song to instead say, on the cross, the love of God was magnified. Now, that's true. The love of God was magnified on the cross. But the wrath of God was also satisfied because of our sin. And they haven't been allowed to change the words to those songs because they say it's difficult to actually, you know, uh, to, to share the message of the gospel when people don't understand that, you know, that, 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 that we come under the wrath of God because of our sin. And so they've just, they wouldn't allow them to change the words, so they've just stopped singing the song. You know, our culture has rejected the concept of sin. And there are churches that are actually following suit. But when we look around the world, we, we actually see that this world is broken and it needs fixing. You know, we, we walk through the city and, and we see people you know, that are living homeless in our city. We say there's something broken here. This needs fixing. And we see people on a Saturday night, you know, just uh, suffering from the effects of, of addiction, lying in parks. We say this world is broken and it needs fixing. And we hear stories of domestic violence and families being ripped apart. We say this world is broken and it needs fixing when we look at the, the fact that people are dying of loneliness in our nation today that they're sitting at home lonely with no real friends and no community the world's fixing it it's broken it needs fixing you travel around the world and you look at the environmental degradation that greed, you know, is, is, is forcing, you know, on our environment around the world. We, we look at, you know, people living in slums with, with no way to actually earn enough money to care for themselves. We say this world is broken and it needs fixing. And when we're really honest, if we simply just look in the mirror in the morning, we know that there's some stuff broken inside of us that needs fixing. Blaise Pascal says this, he says, nothing to be sure is more of a shock than the doctrine of original sin and yet without this mystery which is the most incomprehensible of all we should be incomprehensible to ourselves. You see what he's saying is the concept of original sin is incomprehensible to the modern mind but without it will never understand the root cause of our brokenness. You see, when you reject the concept of sin, you also reject the remedy for your brokenness. All you see is the symptoms. 
and you can alleviate the pain, but you can't get to the root cause and fix the problem. If you saw me walking, you know, up on stage like this today, what, what would you think might be wrong? Come on, someone tell me what might be wrong if you saw me walking around like this on stage. Broken leg. I walked around like this for a week on holidays with my parents. They thought I was just, you know, bunging it on. They finally took me to a doctor. And a doctor, instead of just putting me in a wheelchair or, you know, carrying me around for the rest of my life, a doctor actually took an x-ray and found that I had a broken leg and actually got out a bandage, bandaged up my leg, and after eight weeks of being pushed around or walking around on crutches, my leg was healed. Where if I had have just let my dad carry me for the rest of my life or push me around in a wheelchair, it would have alleviated the pain, but I'd still be walking around with a limp. You know, if I got on stage today and I walked a bit more like this and I had a bit of a wobbly boot on, I'm not very good at doing that, I haven't had much practice. But let me just do it one more time. You know, if I walked up on stage like this, what might you think is the problem? drunk and once again you know you could just treat the symptoms and you could simply give me a bucket to hurl my guts up into and you could simply say I'll just stop drinking but it wouldn't really get to the root cause if we could and and unfortunately, we don't have, you know, an x-ray in quite the same way to see the emptiness and the brokenness inside of our lives that forces us into addiction or forces us to, to chase after inferior sources to satisfy us. But we actually know, even though there's no physical x-ray, we know it comes from a brokenness within us that we're trying to fill in some way. You know, if a couple of years ago you had have said, you know, I've got a sore throat, symptoms of fever, a cough and a runny nose. We would have simply treated the symptoms. Someone would have made you chicken noodle soup, <laughs> sent you home with a hot water bottle. It would have done nothing to, to actually, you know, get to the root problem and the cause of the sickness that you were feeling, but, but it would kind of just alleviate, you know, some of the pain for a little while. But now, if you present with those symptoms, somebody... Where's it gone? Somebody will shove in a in a, an enormous cotton bud <laughs> up your nose. And you will be in quarantine for two weeks. And we take this so seriously, getting to the root cause of this, that we're making our whole nation get a vaccination. Because why? Because we know the consequences are serious. We turn on our TV and we see what's happening in India right now. And we go, these are serious consequences. We've got to get to the root cause. You see, if we don't get to the root cause, if we reject the concept of sin and brokenness in our lives, we also reject the remedy for our brokenness and the consequences are huge. You see, the answers that our world gives to our brokenness are simply treating the symptoms without getting to the root cause. But this ancient story we're about to read, and I know we've taken a while to get here this morning, but this ancient story we're about to reveal, read actually reveals the root cause of brokenness, but it's been rejected for many reasons. Firstly, it's been rejected because we live in a culture of moral relativity. Moral relativity. There's no absolute truth. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And as long as we're both happy living in our truth and we don't hurt too many people along the way, that's okay. 
has been rejected because the genre of the story actually seems fanciful to our rational minds. And so we read about a talking snake and magical trees and forbidden gardens and we go, that can't be real. Now, I'm not going to get into the genre of Genesis chapter 3. But what I really want us to do today, I wonder if just for a moment we could put aside any cultural bias that we might have, you know, put aside any lingering doubts that we might have. And, in the, and we read this ancient misunderstood story and we actually don't see if we can see the root cause of our brokenness in this world and we might just get a glimpse of the eternal remedy for our brokenness and pain. And if it's true, we need to help the people around us put aside their cultural biases and overcome some of their lingering doubts so that they can find the remedy for their brokenness. Let's read Genesis 3. First one, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say those four words? You know, still the big four words that we've got to struggle with all the time. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Firstly, we're going to read some more in a minute, but firstly, we see that when you are deceived by sin, and this Satan was crafty, he was a deceiver. When you are deceived by sin, our relationship with God is broken. In Genesis 3, we see how Satan first deceived Adam and Eve about God and how these lies still haunt us today. Satan raised doubts in Eve's mind about the goodness of God and about the truth of God's word. And there's still, you know, the lies today that, that, he's, that he's putting into the hearts and minds, you know, of people right across our nation. Is the word, can the word of God be trusted? Is it true? And is God really good? He says, if God really loved you, he'd be much more generous to you. He's holding out on you. Yes, Satan wanted Eve to quickly forget that they were free to eat from any tree in the garden except for one. That he'd actually put restrictions around one tree because he didn't want them to die. He didn't want them to have the knowledge of sin and of evil. And he didn't want them to die. He actually placed a restriction there for their own good. There's another subtle deception in verse 1 that's hard to see in the English, but it's really clear in the Hebrew. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God uses a title for himself, Jehovah. And so it's translated into English, Lord God. It's a title of covenant relationship with people. He's saying, I am your Jehovah. I am your covenant God. I, I am a God of relationship. I am a God who has created you to be in relationship with me. It was a, it's an understanding of covenant in the Hebrew language. And that's how God describes himself. I am Jehovah God. I've got a covenant with my creation and I'm putting boundaries around my creation for your good. But then in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent, the deceiver, you know, comes to Eve, he uses a different word. And if you have a look in verse 1 there, it is simply it changes from Lord God to God, and the word is Elohim. And Elohim is a generic word for divinity. 
And so Satan has already come and deceived. He, he said, you know, he, he said this generic God, it's, a, it's the same word that, that's used to describe other gods that Israel worshipped at different times down the track when they bowed down to Baal and Ashpareth. You know, the, the, the word uh, gods was Elohims. It's a generic term for divinity. And Satan's saying, this generic God that has restricted what you do is holding out on you. He's not as good as you think. And you see, what happens is the enemy always exaggerates the morality of God and minimizes the relational heart of God. We see this in our culture. We've been deceived that God is primarily moral and restrictive in nature rather than relational and for our good in everything that we do. And so God has become, again, it's in the culture, Not I hope this isn't in your hearts, but in the culture, God is the big guy in the sky who has made all of these rules for us to live by rather than a loving father who desires relationship with us above all else. And that's the biblical story. The biblical story is a relational, a Jehovah God that creates limits for people that he loves to flourish because he's good and he loves them. And so we, we, we see God trying to help his people Israel understand this all the way through the Old Testament. He would send prophets to help people understand the relational pain of sin. This isn't just about morality. And so he gets the prophet Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman named Goma, knowing that she's going to cheat on her faithful husband. Um, I'm getting all the names mixed up. Hosea, I keep going to call Goma Homer. It's not this, nothing to do with the Simpsons. And in Hosea chapter 3, it says, The Lord said to Goma, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. They loved Sacred raisin cakes. This is just another picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve are tempted by fruit that was desirable and pleasing to the eye. It was sweet. And here, centuries later, the people of Israel who, who God has drawn into covenant despite their sin. They loved fruitcake more than they loved God. And we look at both of these stories and we think they're crazy stories. How do they make any sense to our culture today? How does a piece of fruit on a tree become more desirable than actually having a relationship with the creator of the universe? And how does a fruitcake become more desirable than having a relationship with the God who made you. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But I want to ask you today, what's your fruitcake? What is it that you go chasing after? Because at times you love it more than God. Some of us here in this room, there are times, if we're really honest, we'd say we love work more than God. We love achievement and success more than God. We, we give it our time more than God. We turn our hearts to money more than God. We turn our hearts and our attention to TV more than God. We turn our hearts and, and attention, we are captured by porn and sexual immorality more than God. We actually turn to alcohol or to food. We love our stomach more than God. 
And what God is wanting to do in Genesis chapter 3 and in Hosea chapter 3 and today here in 2021 is to help us to understand the relational pain of sin for him and the futility of sin for us. And so when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he actually knows, it's actually a great uh, story for us who are sharing the gospel in a post-Christian culture, in a culture that doesn't necessarily believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. If you get a chance to read I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but in John chapter 4, you know, Jesus meets this woman at the well and he knows she's a sinful woman. He already knows, but he doesn't bring it up with her. He already knows that her sinfulness is hurting her. It's been futile. She's gone from relationship to relationship and, and now she's broken. You know, her, uh, her, her marriage vows again and she's living with another man and she's still not satisfied and, she, and her, her, she's broken off from her community. She's there alone in the middle of the day when nobody else would be there. He knows she's sinful and he knows that her sin is hurting her, but he doesn't bring it up. He actually says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink because I've actually got what you're looking for. I've got the very thing that can satisfy you and you're not going to find it in relationships. You're not going to find it in sex. You're not going to find it in immorality. You're not going to find it in more money. You're not going to find it in more success. You are not going to find it through a better high or a bigger high. But you can find it in me. I've actually got what you're looking for. We've been deceived that God is primarily moral rather than relational. And he's not as good as he says. And so we go chasing after other things and it causes incredible pain to a God who loves us and has created us for relationship. That's why he hates sin so much. Because it's relational. And because he knows it's futile. It's not good for us. And when we get deceived by sin, just like Adam and Eve, just like Goma, our relationship with God is broken. We go from a place of intimacy to separation from a holy God. Let's read on. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw <clears throat> that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. That's the problem with sin, isn't it? It's desirable. It's pleasing to the eye. Come on, just be honest with yourself this morning. If sin is not fun, then you're doing it wrong. Sin feels great at first, but it's horrific in the end. Listen, listen to what happens. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You see, we see here that when you actually choose to hide your sin, your God-given identity is broken. You see, when you're deceived by sin, your relationship with God that he's created us for is broken. When you hide your sin, your God-given identity is broken. Eve is deceived. She took what was desirable. She shared it with Adam. And immediately they felt ashamed and they hid from God and they hid from one another. There's a difference between guilt and shame. The Holy Spirit convicts us of guilt when we've done something wrong. But shame is different. Shame actually says there's something intrinsically wrong with me. It's not just an action that I've done that I need to repent of, but shame says there's something intrinsically wrong with who I am. And so when we experience shame, we cover up. 
and we manage our image for fear that we will be rejected if people know what we're really like. Timmy, can I ask you to just run and get me a bottle of water, please, mate? I'm dying up here. <clears throat> in Jesus' day, the same thing was happening. Adam, Adam and Eve hid themselves in fig leaves. In Jesus' day, he confronted the religious people who were covering themselves in elaborate religious clothing. Listen to what he says, Matthew 23. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They're walking around with a big box on their arm to show that they're reading more scripture than anybody else. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. They're wearing extra wide prayer boxes and robes with extra long tassels to appear more holy and acceptable to God and, 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 and to appear to, to be better to the people in the culture. This was a big deal to the culture of the time. Now, our culture has changed a little bit from there. We, we don't wear extra wide prayer boxes. Thank you, Marcus. And, uh, and we, we don't you know, wear big long tassels on our robes, but we still manage our image to make ourselves look more acceptable to others. Have a look at some of our modern day fig leaves, any of you that are on social media. We crop, we crop our photos so people just see the bit we want them to see. Look at me doing a marvellous handstand. Look at my achievements. Next one. Look at the healthy food that I'm eating. And we just crop the bit that we want people to see. Look at how I've got my life all together. You know, look at this serenity that I'm living in. Just perfect bodies everywhere. As I sit on the beach, we just show people the bit that we want them to see. There might be one more. Look how tidy our houses are. We just crop the little bit in that we want people to see and if we don't crop the photo we use a filter so we look more acceptable to people and we get rid <laughs> all of our wrinkles are magically gone we cover up our shame with modern day fig leaves to make ourselves more acceptable to the universe we manage our image because we've lost sight of who God made us to be. Our identity is broken. That's what sin does. Makes us hide from one another so no one sees our authentic self and we hide from God because we don't want God to see what we're really like. Let me read one more bit. Genesis 9 says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's his fault. You see, when you blame others for your sin, our community is broken. See, our relationship with God is broken when we're deceived by sin. Our God-given identity is broken when we hide our sin. And when we blame others for our sin, the community around us is also broken. You know, we live in a world of displaced responsibility. When something goes wrong, it's always someone else's fault. We've got to follow the train, you know, the chain to see who it is that actually is at fault in this situation. We need to find someone to blame for the pain that I'm experiencing. But blaming never actually, it might make you feel better in the short term. But it actually doesn't make you better, it doesn't make your community better. It actually just makes you bitter and your community is broken. Blaming others for the pain in our lives and the problems in this world just causes division in families and communities and nations. And some of us here today... We've got broken relationships in families because we're hell-bent on blaming somebody else and not recognising our own sin and seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. 
Jesus offers us a better way, his most famous sermon, hard-hitting sermon. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so Jesus goes on and on again in this sermon, do not judge or you will be judged. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Actually, in every relationship that gets broken, go into it thinking, what is it that I've contributed to this and what can I do to remove the pain for others? Because when you blame others for your sin, Communities, families get broken, or maybe some of us here today have just got to choose to forgive, choose to look at the part that we played in seeing this relationship broken. And when you downplay the consequences of sin, our eternity is broken. Right at the start, the serpent says to the woman, you will not certainly die. He's actually not saying, you know, you'll definitely not die. He's just saying it's not certain that you will die. He's just twisting. Twisting God's word, distorting God's word from Genesis chapter 2. And so with this opportunity, this moment of maybe God's word is not really true and maybe God is not really as good as he thinks he is, they chose to eat from the fruit of that tree. And this is the consequence. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Down to verse 23, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the truth of life. The devil convinced them that death was not certain and sin was not serious and they quickly found out that they'd been deceived. From, from the beginning, God said, sin will result in death because I don't want you to have an eternity with sickness and pain in the world. It's not good and what I've created is good. And we still see the seriousness of sin today. You know, we desire autonomy to live without any restrictions. But after the initial joy of throwing off restraint subsides, eventually we're left with disillusionment, heartache and death. So how is this a better story? Have we got to the point yet of how this is a better story? It's a better story because when you actually take responsibility for your sin... You can find the remedy for your brokenness. When you find, take responsibility for your sin, you can find the remedy for your brokenness and it's not a superficial remedy. It's not just treating the symptoms, it's actually getting to the root cause. Genesis chapter 3, we see a glimpse of the eternal remedy for the brokenness caused by sin. Verse 24, it says, no, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now you need to understand this is the first death that Adam and Eve had ever seen. An innocent animal was slaughtered. They'd never seen death before. They'd never seen the blood drain out of a body before. An innocent animal was slaughtered and its blood was shed. And God took the skins from those innocent animals and covered over their shame. And he made a way to actually restore their relationship and restore relationship with him. And just as God pursued and covered and, and promised restoration to sinners like Adam and Eve, after their sinful rebellion, he does the same for us. You see, our story, the better story begins with Adam and Eve in a garden and a tree, and our story is completely redeemed through the second Adam, through the second one to come to the earth without any sin through Jesus Christ. And in a different garden, he was placed on a different tree and he shed his blood to cover our sins. 
It's an old biblical word called atonement. It means to make amends or to cover over our sins. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Every single one of us on planet Earth needs this remedy, and it's the only remedy for the brokenness that's in our world today. Anything else is just dealing with the superficial, just dealing with the symptoms, because it's our sin against the God who created us, and it's separation from him that caused the brokenness in this world. D.A. Carson puts it like this. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he'd perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And so he sent us a saviour. Hallelujah. He sent us Jesus to actually die on a cross, to shed his blood, an innocent Man, an innocent sacrifice to atone for, to cover over your sins. And Billy Graham was right. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's a better story. Because every single one of us, I want to get the band to come up, every single one of us can receive atonement for our sin through faith in Jesus Christ and we can be reconciled with our Creator. And it's in loving relationship with our Creator that our broken lives can be put back together because He has that x-ray machine that looks into the brokenness in your heart and in my heart and He knows how to heal us one day at a time, one worship song at a time, one Bible reading at a time, one prayer moment at a time. He's a God who loves to reach down from heaven and do whatever it takes to heal our brokenness. Because sin was never primarily about morality. It was about relationship with our Creator. And He knows the futility of stepping outside of the restrictions that He's placed on us and chasing after inferior sources for love and joy and satisfaction. So God convicts us of our sin, not so he can get us back, but because he's got something so much better for us. Mark Say, as a modern day theologian, says this, every renewal and revival begins with people who reach such a moment, who truly come to the end of themselves, discovering the depth of their own sin and the immensity of a holy God who is intent on removing rebellion, evil and ill from the world yet who sent his son to die upon the cross to invite us to be on his side of remaking the world. It's our invitation into a better story. You're invited to take responsibility for your own sin. All of us today have got some raisin cakes. We've we got some futile things we've gone chasing after thinking it's going to satisfy. We've got things we put before God. And we look back now, we think, that's crazy. Why would we do that? But we too have been deceived like Adam and Eve. You're invited to take responsibility for your sin. You're invited to receive forgiveness for your sin through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. And you invited Jesus, you're invited to join Jesus in remaking this broken world by showing mercy and fighting for justice in the same way that he's done that for us. And so we eat this really simple meal. I'm going to invite us to do that right now. 
bread and juice. It's a very simple meal. We're, we're invited to actually eat this meal until he comes again. Because I'm going to just 30 seconds skip to the end of the story, which you know I'm going to preach in a few weeks' time. But this is such a better story. Because there will be a day when Jesus comes again and there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more suffering. He will banish evil once and for all and we'll get to enjoy his loving presence face to face. But until that day comes, we get to join together as fellow sinners that have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that you are healing my brokenness one day at a time. Would you take this little piece of bread and eat today? Give thanks to Jesus. Just take a moment in your own heart, in your own mind, just to thank him. This little cup of juice is actually symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed to atone, to make amends, to cover over your sins. All of us who recognize our own sin today and recognize our deep need for a Savior, let's drink together, give thanks to Jesus. Jesus, even in the the pain and the futility of Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind and the pain that sin causes us and causes you. Even there, God, we see your goodness that you would choose to take the life of another innocent animal in our place cover our shame God I thank you I thank you it was just a picture of what you were going to do one day for all of eternity in sending your very own son to shed his blood to cover the shame of our sins we thank you today Lord Jesus we stand together we worship you with all of our heart Why don't we do that right now? We're going to sing that old hymn in Christ alone. My hope is found. Let's sing together. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest trial and storm. What heights of love, what depth of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness.
say a big amen this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. our prayer team and pastoral team to come out the front. I, I, just, uh, I just believe, uh, just, just come out, if you're on the prayer team or pastoral team, just come now. You know, the, the power of sin has impacted all of our lives in all different ways. I'm not going to go through all of the impacts of sin right now at the end of this service. I actually want to point to how good Jesus is. He's so good. He wants to minister to you today. He wants to bring healing to brokenness today, broken minds, broken hearts, broken bodies. I just believe as we were worshipping this morning, I just felt like God was saying today is going to be a circuit breaker for some. You know, when you, when you pull out the circuit breaker or it trips out in a house, the, the power that was getting through was, was generating, you know, that, that thing, that light, whatever it was that was happening. Uh, that power is broken. That power no longer you know, you know, gets through and lights up that thing in our life. And I just believe today is going to be a circuit breaker for some people. And I don't know what it is that you're struggling with, what it is that you're going through right now, but I'm just going to invite you to come and just let these guys pray for you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, come and tell one of these guys, if you want someone to pray for you about anything at all, just come. Just come and receive the healing from the brokenness that's inside of us. Can we just sing that last verse? Is it possible to sing that last verse again, Marky? Come on, just uh, let's just finish on that, that, that last verse. Just come when you're ready. These guys will be here for a little while, but just come and let someone pray for you. Though. Let's sing. No guilt in life. No guilt in life. And no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From last first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny And no power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his head to Just come. Our prayer team will be down here for a little while. They just love to pray for you today. Just come and receive. God's got healing for your brokenness. He wants to minister to you today. Just come let someone pray for you. Be blessed. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.